this sort of music. Another sort of music. WKCR-FM New York, this is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. Be here with you for the next three hours. We call this program Deep Focus. And nothing could be better to explain what that means than to be able to introduce the inestimable Brian Charette back in the studio. Welcome back, Brian. Pleasure to be here, Mitch. Thanks for having me. We have some uh, nasty little surprises for the kids, don't we? Sure do. Shall we just go there? Maybe yes. It's Deep Focus on WKCR.
Alright, we're going to carry on with a fantasy type thing about a creature that's a bit like an armadillo. We'll have a Tarkus.
Bet you didn't see that one coming. Bet you didn't think we were going to be lighting up an arena. Wow. <laughs> but we are. You are listening to, yes, this is WKCR. You didn't accidentally tune in some other station. And uh, we call this show Deep Focus. Deep Focus, we have a guest in the studio exploring uh, live unreleased recordings. And uh, that's where you're at tonight. That was, well, I'm going to introduce our guest. And our guest is going to tell you what that was that we were listening to. And I'm very happy to have this particular guest in the studio, the fantastic Brian Charette. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for coming uptown. We're talking about my big dude here. What are we doing? What are we talking? What do we got? Well, I would say that I am a professional keyboardist because of this gentleman's keyboard playing, Keith Emerson, of course, we're talking about. Um, We unfortunately just lost him a few months ago. Um, And I think that's why when we were talking about the show and came up with the idea of, of doing a piece on Keith, I think we were both very interested in talking about him because surely the biggest influence uh, on me for being a professional keyboardist, I was a very young man when I heard Brain Salad Surgery was my first Emerson, Lake, and Palmer uh, recording. Here we're listening to a 1978 live concert from Nassau Coliseum, yeah? Correct. February Um, of 78. And what's the name of the band? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, of course. Now, if people, listeners, don't know Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Might sound like a law firm or something, mm-hmm. but uh, this was quite a thing. They were a progressive rock band in the, I would say, early to mid-70s. They were one of the top touring acts uh, in the world. Um, they would play this very complicated, uh, involved music that had long instrumental sections like we just heard, um, classical and jazz uh, influence music, and they would be doing it in stadiums uh, for thousands and thousands of people. They were very popular. Um, this is a very influential group for me. I would say this group with Yes were my two favorite musical groups when I was around 13 or 14, and directly why I gravitated towards keyboards like Moogs and Hammond organs and stuff like this. So this was this was my big guy for sure. The context for all this, which is um, might be jarring for people who haven't had the opportunity to hear you play, is that you are a tremendously accomplished jazz musician. When one goes to hear Brian Charette playing piano or organ, Keith Emerson and Rick Wakeman are not the images that come to mind. I feel like I'm a little, like I am in jazz music, but I am slightly misplaced, maybe. I'm, I'm kind of more of a rocker in ways. Not that I mind playing jazz music. I love it. It's so stimulating for me, and I love the people. But I think I definitely have more of a, this kind of angle to my jazz music um, than... Bud Powell or Jimmy Smith, even though I'm so influenced by these people and have checked them out, um, especially by now, very much also. Like, in my heart, I think I'm coming from this kind of approach uh, to, to my music in general. This is really interesting to me. And um, I remember being aware of this music for a long, long time. 
and I'm kind of hearing it with new ears, mm-hmm. hearing you talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'm not a musician and hearing some of the conversation we had mm-hmm. off mic mm-hmm. that's uh, realizing how much is going on yeah. in this music. Well, to me, no other single keyboard artist had as much together in all of these different genres of music um, as Keith Emerson did. Like, he's playing straight Charlie Parker bebop, like, especially in this last, uh, in Tarkus, about three quarters of the way through, he's playing, which sounds like some kind of Korg, maybe MS-10 synthesizer, but he's playing straight bebop lines that sound like Charlie Parker. He also has this incredible classical technique, very informed by Russian uh, composers. Um, and he's got all of these new sounds, the Moog synthesizer, which was new in the early 70s. He is a pioneer of this stuff. Modular synthesizers, uh, one of the first two people to use them on a recording, I think. It was him and Herbie Hancock. And maybe Isn't Rick there a Lick- story about the two of them like competing over that? I'm not really sure about that. Um, but I know that maybe 1971 Modular Moog comes out. Does that sound right? And they both, like, were, were using them. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how they got them, but they were. The first time you heard a modular Moog, like, it, 50-50 chance it was Keith, you know. Um, and, of course, even in music now, people are using, there's such renewed interest in modular synthesizers. They have new companies that have all these new things out. Moog has new synthesizers, and it's primarily popularized by, by this guy and, like, I would say Joe Zawinul, Herbie Hancock, Keith Emerson, and Rick Wakeman um, were the guys. Maybe George Duke a little bit later when he was with Zappa. Yeah. That's like seven, well, that's like 74. But these guys were why we know these sounds and are influenced by, by this kind of stuff. You know? Maybe uh, just as I'm sure there are people who are have not had Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer on their radar – um, for you as a keyboard player, maybe uh-huh. you can unpack a little bit. You know, let's make let's hold off on that question. Uh-huh. I'm going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you to talk about what keyboard instruments could and could not do. But I want to set that aside for a minute mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about the music that we just heard. We heard two pieces of music: mm-hmm. Ho Down mm-hmm. and Tarkus. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could <laughs> some of the many ingredients that were in that pot. I mean, yeah. there's a lot well, of stuff Well, that's like we on. heard in those two tracks, you kind of heard a little taste of everything that the, the band was doing in the 70s. First of all, Keith Emerson had a mammoth keyboard rig. Um, he usually had two organs on stage. One would be a C3 and an L100, which is a very unusual model. Now, those um, are both Hammond organs. They're Hammond organs. Classic when you think of yeah. Saturday night and the sure. bar, Jack yes. McDuff or whatever. Well, Jack McDuff is supposedly why this is the big influence for Keith Emerson. Um, I, I read an interview with, with him where they're asking him about his uh, early in influences, and he talks specifically about uh, an album by Jack McDuff called Rock Candy, where the, there's a lot of percussion on the organ and the sound is pretty distorted. And you can really hear how Keith is going for this kind of sound. His drawbar setting has the first three drawbars out. Um, so it's very much coming from this kind of uh, Jack McDuff sound, which is a which is a variation of a Jimmy Smith sound. Um, he also on stage had modular Moog. He had some Korg synthesizers. He usually had a piano or a CP70, which is a Yamaha 
uh, digital piano, not digital piano, uh, one of the early uh, piano. It was like a... Um, it had strings in it, it but did. it was like an electric piano. Electric it's piano. It's called Yamaha Electric Piano. It was like an electric baby grand, right? Yes. I think it's CP70 or the, is the, uh, the letters of the model. And he's basically playing all of these. Everything you hear is not like tracks of Pro Tools playing under the stage in 1978. Like he's playing all of these very complicated parts. Right. Um, now, if you wanted to do this now, it would still be kind of crack your head open. Sure. But it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And he's memorizing everything. He has to program like the modular. There was no uh, pat. There was no kind of memory in these things. Like you would have to program them, and sometimes while you were doing something, they would go out of tune, or they would lose the memory. Like all sorts of crazy stuff is happening uh, during a live show with these then very new and unstable instruments. You know. And what about? Um, take us through some of the musical influences who who wrote these two pieces mm -hmm. uh what he's else you hear him referring to mm -hmm. well hoedown is aaron copeland right aaron um, copeland one of the great yeah american right composers so he's keith emerson is definitely listening and you can especially hear this if you listen to the album works like he's very steeped in uh franz liszt chopin um bach obviously um, in the way he's like improvising fugue on a lot of these. Um, I mean, he's not following the rules as strictly as JSB, but he's basically improvising fugue uh, on these tunes. Um, he's very into modern, like they're into uh, Modest Mazorsky. They play uh, pictures at an exhibition later on this uh, recording. So he's obviously listened to a lot of jazz. He's listening to Jack McDuff. So he, these guys are listening to every kind of music that they can get their hands on um you know and he's referencing this is 1978 close encounters of the third kind we hear a quote of that melody star wars two themes are worked in um which were current brand new like that's 78 star wars is, is released yeah. you know yeah, this is like mainstream pop uh -huh. culture at the time yeah. for sure sure and uh you're hearing some other things in there as well, right? You're he has a lot of, um, and I was very lucky to have a book of these transcriptions, actually, from a lot of these songs. So I got to really study, and this is one of the best. It was an all-black transcription book. I don't even know where I got it. I got it when I was like 12, and they have very accurate transcriptions of Keith Emerson's lines. And he's doing a lot of what we call planing. Like he will have a chordal shape and we'll maybe move it up a fourth and then down a fifth and then up a fourth again. Um, he's playing a lot of fourth kind of harmony that we would maybe associate with uh, Larry Young, even though I'm not sure if he was super into Larry Young that I know about. He may have been listening to Chick Corea or McCoy Tyner or all of these things. Um, he does the fourths not quite like Larry Young to me, um, he will harmonize a scale in fourths and he will play his lines uh, with this and he'll also move one note up a step sometimes. Um, so he'll have like an augmented interval that comes back down to a triad. Um, you see these patterns a lot in his playing. Um, and also layered these two things, the blues of Jack McDuff, the fourth sounding lines and bebop that sounds like very straight Charlie Parker, you know, bebop lines. 
uh, for lack of a better moniker. I'm very curious. Um, we got a we got a ton of stuff to talk about. It's a good thing it's a three-hour show because yeah. <laughs> uh, we're I'm already. Yeah. Well, like I said, this is my big dude. You know, I can no tell. question. And I'm wondering if he, you've obviously spent a lot of time actively listening to this. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Wonder- this was like, <laughs> this was all I listened to, you know, when I was 14. I rock out to it now. Yeah. You know. Did um, I'm wondering if he talked about this stuff, if anybody who knew about, understood it on the level you do, ever drew him out about it? I, I knew him peripherally. Um, we actually played a show together for Hammond. We would meet at, uh, I met him at the NAM show, actually, which is a trade show in Los Angeles. Um, and we were both artists representing Hammond Organ. Um, I was very shocked when I met him. He was a very nice, soft-spoken man. I was shocked at how nice he was. It was amazing. He was so uh, personable um, and quiet. But, you know, I didn't really think about asking him, hey, uh, what's that <laughs> patch you had on the, on the modular, you know? Um, but so this, in other words, this is all stuff that you've discerned from the experience of Yes, like I checked him out very, like this was kind of the first music that I got deeply inside, I would say, because I was playing piano, you know, by the time I heard Keith Emerson, maybe I was 13 or 14, I was playing piano from young, but I had quit playing piano because I was not super into it. I was playing classical music and I was playing guitar. And this was kind of, I started to get in a couple bands uh, and this is when I started to really check him out. I had this book of music and I would transcribe him and listen to him and I would learn Trilogy and Tarkus. And at that point, that was the hardest music that I had ever really tried to perfect. You know, and this book of transcriptions I had was very accurate. So I would learn the transcriptions and then I would study or analyze what he was doing and try to to work it into my own stuff. You know? I, I think there were a lot of 13, 14-year-old boys discovering Emerson, Lake, and Palmer at that time. I think so, too. I think there were extraordinarily few that transcribed the music and learned to play it. It's an astonishing... Well, uh, this book, and I can't even remember how I got it, but it was one of the most important books of music that I ever got, was this transcription of, of all his you know big tunes. Everything is in there. The Sheriff is in there. Um, everything from Trilogy... Um, I still have it. You know, I still have the book. How um, consistent listening to this live set is the live performance to the oh-so-well-known recordings? To me, there's a, a rain, arrangement-wise, they're different, and the tempos are a little quicker. Yeah. You know, um, but they sound, he sounds like he's playing very accurately, you know. Um, I hear an occasional equipment kind of thing that's like uh, one of those passages it sounded like it was an octave too low or something on a keyboard was a little off but it's like their level of of proficiency with playing this music live is obviously quite high and they must have had to rehearse a lot to be able to do this you know um, Greg Lake's voice sounds really good, and this is this is not doctored as much as far as I know. No, There's no Pro a, Tools or no, this is Auto Tune live recording. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, Keith Emerson is the keyboard player yes. with a vast array of different keyboard instruments. Yeah, 
um, including, well, uh, we'll run through it. Greg Lake, the bassist uh-huh. playing. Also plays guitar. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure on the live show, Keith would play bass sometimes on a Moog synthesizer or uh, one of those organs. Yeah. You know. um, and Carl Palmer is the drummer. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, they, uh, you're, you're hearing it. I mean, this is pretty much the way it happened, mm-hmm. as they say. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should, uh, now that we've talked a little bit about it, maybe giving people a new idea of what they're hearing, go back to the live set a little bit. Sure. Uh, what's coming up? Let me see. We got all the hits on there. Yaha. And set two, they kind of break it down and do some unusual things that I have not really heard before. Well, that- we will get to all of that, mm-hmm. without a doubt. You're listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. Brian Charette is my guest tonight. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, we are exploring music that fundamental shaping influence on Brian's musical life. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. There's a live recording from February of 1978 at Nassau Coliseum out on Long Island. It just closed. The venue, was, it's a, we're talking a big sports arena like the size of Madison Square Garden, maybe even a bit bigger. And um, that uh, just closed up, but a, a very an important concert venue mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. And um, you, Brian, also, you've got uh, shows coming up Friday night. Yep. Where are you going to be? Friday night, I'm at Club Bonafide with a cool band, the Positone All-Stars, which is my record label. Uh, and we're, we're doing a show with some of the leaders from that label. We'll play each other's music, then we all jam together. It's going to be all night long from 730. Very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that some more. Cool. You got a new album out. I do. Which is kind of pretty much usually the case these days, it <laughs> seems. You're rather prolific, sir. This one's particularly interesting. I want to ask you a few questions about it. Uh-huh. And um, But uh, we're going to go back to the stage. Cool. What's coming up? Well, what do you want to do? You want to do Take a Pebble? That's right. Yes. After Tarkus. That's and that's one a of my big uh, Keith Emerson song, sure, right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so we're going, this is... Emerson, Lake, and Palmer through the ears of Brian Charette on WKCR, live.
lying on your grass Thank you.
Thank you very much. That was obviously Take a Pebble from the first album we did around about 1970, I guess. Merged him with a bit of the Piano Concerto from Works Volume 1 and uh, Maple Leaf Rag from Works Volume 2. I'm going to feature Greg Lake now with uh, one of his tracks of Works Volume 1. It's called Sailor V. <laughs> Have your leaves all turned to brown Will you scatter them around you C'est la vie Do you love And then how am I to know If you don't let your love show for me C'est la vie In the night Do you light a lover's fire Do the ashes of desire for you remain Like the sea there's a love too deep to show Took a storm before my love flowed for you Sylvie Like a song Out of tune and out of time All I needed Was a rhyme for you C'est la vie Do you give Do you live from day to day Is there no song I can play for you C'est la vie 
who knows who cares for me C'est la vie WKCR-FM New York is the station. My name is Mitch Goldman. We are in it, man. We're in deep focus. And Brian Charette is my guest. And uh, the focus is on this fantastic supergroup. I wonder if people are aware of uh, what a heavy band this is and how immensely popular they were. And the band, I want to hear you say it. Yeah, I think, you know, they have sometimes... Hold on one sec, sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, there we go. Yes. I think sometimes they and bands like Yes, they get a little negative stigma sometimes. Say the name of the band. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. (laughs) They, They, I mean, let's face it, they are in some people's minds the cliche of... Everything like Spinal Tap, you could even they are, say. Yeah, like you know, yeah. Not um, you could even say like yeah, yeah. So, that's... but that's why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, there. But when you listen to him play the piano, I mean, this guy has incredible piano technique, you know, and he's like kind of improvising on themes that sounded like pathetic sonata from Beethoven, the slow movement, uh, while he was playing. Uh, his piano solo there, and he will downshift into some kind of chordal jazz harmony, and he doesn't make mistakes. Then, you know, of course, there so was that clean sounding, that very simple little rag stuff. Nothing to it to play that, right? That yeah, he plays that style so authentically, like he has these things all together to a degree, which I don't know of of uh, people that have it to that degree that he does. You know, all of these things. Brian Charette is my guest here in the studio. He's got a live set coming up Friday that you're going to have a chance to come and hear. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. He's got a brand new album, Works Volume 3. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Once and Future. Once and Future is out on the Positone label, not Works Volume 3. That's something else. <laughs> we'll come back to that. But um, I, have a, I have a confession to make uh-huh. now. I... I it's start of summer. I don't know. Maybe that's why. Um, here it is. This show that we're listening to, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, recorded in Nassau Coliseum, February of 1978. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I. When you hear people that audience screaming, you. That's my voice. You're nice. hearing. Literally, I was at this show. This is pretty. You're probably maybe thinking now, like, well, he's just digging up recordings that he made and making some guy sit there and talk about him. <laughs> That's not what happened. Brian and I uh, got together to figure out, like, hey, what are we... Because we've done a few of these. Yes. Brian Charette. Okay, sidebar. Don't listen to this. I don't want you to get a big head. Don't listen to what I'm going <laughs> to tell the folks. Okay. Um, Brian Charette has what we, what we in the jazz industry refer to as some big ears. Okay. <laughs> This is uh, if somebody tells you you have big ears, it's a it's a high praise in in our little world. It means you got you're you're really really tuned in. You're hearing things that 
other people around you aren't hearing. Even people listening to the same stuff, you're getting things you're extracting out of the ether that is going right by everybody else. That is Brian Charette. And uh, you have turned me on to music that I knew nothing or almost nothing about really? doing these uh, huh. deep focus shows, which is one of the great pleasures of having oh, you here in the studio. I'm glad to hear that. Likewise. Well, you know. Um, and uh, so I asked Brian, what are we going to talk about? And you came up with the idea of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, mm-hmm. Keith Emerson being this huge influence as you Well, explaining. he's on my mind so much because we lost him a couple yeah. of months ago. It, and, uh, you know, in a kind of uh, way that's hard to accept. Yeah, for me especially, yeah. Um, very sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, man, to go from that and turn the clock back to 1978 and here. Now, this is the reason I'm not just... So you chose the topic of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Mm-hmm. I managed to come up with this recording mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that happens to be the show that I was at. And I bring it up for one particular reason, not to say, look how cool I am. Mm-hmm. The point is that listening to this music, hearing Greg Lake there playing and singing on his lovely 12-string guitar, mm-hmm. hearing Keith Emerson doing these things that sound like Bach, Beethoven, Scott Joplin, incredible command of the piano, that you're listening to this in a giant sports arena mm-hmm. filled with screaming rock and rollers. And it's live. It's really live. I mean, they did this. Mm-hmm. Li- I will tell you, mm-hmm. this is live, live. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they did it night after night. Mm-hmm. And uh, But you got to, like, picture the place, you know— uh, like dudes in their jean jackets mm-hmm. and long hair, and uh, uh, the air is festooned with. Uh, were there girls there? There were girls. It's kind of a guy scene. A lot of guys. I hear you. Not a great place to meet <laughs> girls if you're, you know, teenage boy. There's took a little while to figure <laughs> that part out, but you know, um, yeah, you know, you. I don't know if that comes across in this. I mean, we're, you know, like picture like there's hockey jerseys hanging sure. from the ceiling. You know, we're in like a this is, I think it's actually a, a bit bigger than Madison no, Square Garden. No, they were like a they were a touring phenomena, you know. Like they were I'm not sure in 1978, but they were like one of the top 5 touring acts in the mid 70s. I know? can tell you I was sitting in a, among the absolute worst seats in the house, uh-huh. which I do remember that. I remember where I was sitting, um, and uh, which tells me that the show had to be close to, if not sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big deal. It was mm-hmm. a big thing. Them coming to town. I remember, you know, there was like, I remember anticipating for mm-hmm. months, you know, getting the tickets and waiting for the day to come. And um, this might have been their last tour as Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in the original configuration. Yeah. When did they break up the band? Um. They did another album, uh-huh. at least, after uh-huh. this, but I don't remember whether or not they toured mm-hmm. behind it. But, um, yeah, you know, listening to this now, and especially hearing you talk about it, it's it's very sophisticated music. Yeah. And it's also got this incredibly broad reach. Hearing, uh, and we've talked about this a bit in the context of what else was going on in music at this time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a period of time 
I can tell you as a concert goer, going to see, it's probably in that same year I saw Frank Zappa, Mm -hmm. I saw the Allman Brothers, I saw, you know, and you've got Mahavishnu Orchestra Mm -hmm. playing, and you've got Return to Forever, and Mm -hmm. you've got all these very ambitious musical things happening, new technology. Not three-minute pop tunes. Like long well, forms. Well, there was that as well. <laughs> Not all of those bands had three minute yeah. pop tunes. This one did. You know what, too, though, Mitch, is I think that there was so much more of a space for these groups to, to you know, I think their record companies gave them a much longer leash to explore these forms and styles of improvising. You know, you talk about Frank Zappa. He, I don't know if you ever heard this thing where he was talking about record executives and the cigar-chomping people who would say, I don't know, let's put it out. Let's see if they like it, as opposed to very smart, sharp-looking kids who were numbers people who kind of put big limits on creativity of the groups, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, you don't hear Frank Zappa at that time saying, oh, these record companies are so easy to work with and they do such a great job of marketing my music. Right. But, (laughs) you know, like artists like him, like he, I'm not sure if any of these groups in this current environment of record industry would even have this music heard. No. You know, Um, so it was a very special time where you could be doing this very um, out music, to be honest, um, and having it reach a large audience. And I think that speaks to the fact that people can take it. You know, it's not the people that are making the choice to listen to music that's less, let's say, in depth, for lack of a better term. Hmm. Um, but I think the people in charge of the industry now are a little scared to give people this. Like they're, I think it's, I think the music industry, people are too scared to do music like this now. They're worried what people are going to think. They're worried it's too long. Um, I think people would surprise us if we let a few mm-hmm. more things out to them. You know? Well, we are living in a different planet. It's true. You know, um, I don't even know if, like at that time, in the social fabric of this audience... You know, you were partly really defined by the kind of music that you liked. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't think that's as true as it was. Some, to some extent, maybe. But I don't think nearly the way it was then. No. And there was like a loyalty to one group as well. You know, groups would stay together for 10 years and have six albums. And loyalty among fans. I remember, I remember being at this show... And seeing people with, like, their jean jackets with their brain salad surgery. Giger on The, the Giger, yeah. on the, like, that hand-painted on the back of and a jean jacket. And that's 1971 brain salad surgery, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Well, that was one of the yeah. all-time. No, that was my big one. Still is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just the cover art alone. Yeah. If you don't know this album cover, H.R. Uh, Giger, mm-hmm. this... German, right? Uh, German artist? or Swiss, I want to say. Not sure. Artist, somewhere in there. And uh, you know his work from... Alien. Yes, among other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, also then later published books of his work and mm-hmm. paintings and everything. And this 
How would you describe that visual? He had very metallic, robotic exotica, I would yeah. call it, yeah. as a genre. Kind of gothic. Yep. There was ladies. Yes. M- realized in kind of metal like with metal bodies. That's what women are really like, you know. <laughs> I hadn't realized that until I looked at those, those paintings. I found that out. <laughs> so you buy the, you buy the album for 3.98 and you get this whole other experience. Uh-huh. Uh, but think about that commitment for a uh, 15-year-old. I did not have I did not have an Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer jean jacket. Uh-huh. I did buy a T-shirt at that show, though. Mm-hmm. And um, but the commitment—you got—you only have one jean jacket. Sure. You don't have a closet full of jean jackets. Well, remember the experience too, Mitch, of listening to a record on the record player. Like you weren't browsing your Facebook page. Like you had an album in a jacket with cool pictures. It was a side. Like you would have to flip it. I mean, you would sit there next to your record player and be totally engrossed in this uh, experience. And I think that is why. There was this such incredible love for these bands um, because people were really having an experience like listening to them and then to see them live. You know, there was no YouTube clips. No, uh, God, no. Like you really had to go there. Yeah. You You literally had Um, to be in the same room as them. You there were uh, the next song that they play. You might recognize is Mm -hmm. I know you're going to recognize Brian, but uh, listeners might recognize a big pop tune. And um, crowds cheering for it already. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that was a uh, part of Emerson, Lake and Palmer. So you might hear that on the radio once in a while. But mm-hmm. no, there was no, you're never going to see these guys on TV. Mm-hmm. You're never going to, I mean, eh, there were some uh, oddball magazines you could buy. You might see mm-hmm. some pictures or an instrumental magazine. You might see a little uh, article about uh, all these crazy drums Carl Palmer's playing mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. But no, you didn't. You didn't really know what these guys looked like, because certainly those Giger album covers aren't really mm-hmm. pictures of them. There was pictures of three of them in profile on the cover of "Welcome Back, My Friends" uh-huh. to the show that never ends. Yeah. But uh, we are listening to the music. We're exploring the music of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Uh, Mitch Goldman. The show is Deep Focus, and man, can't think of a better illustration of the notion than tonight's show with Brian Charette talking about this band that I liked 40 years ago and i'm hearing in a whole new way through the insight of brian charette who is playing friday night and uh you got a chance to see him you if you're enjoying hearing us talk about this music and play emerson lincoln palmer know that it will give you no indication whatsoever of what his music sounds like. Oh, I don't know. I've kind of ripped <laughs> off a lot from Keith, I have to say. It's going to be a cool night of music, though. It's happening at uh, Club Bonafide. Mm-hmm. That's on East 52nd Street mm-hmm. here in Manhattan. 7.30 to midnight, you're giving, uh, giving him a whole lot of music. Well, it's going to be a bunch of the groups from Positone. Um, we have some cool leaders there. Um, Joe Magnarelli will be there, Doug Webb, they'll play a set of their music, and then we all play music together. And I was on um, a bunch of these albums. I think I'm on all of the albums, actually, where the music will come from. Um, And Peter Bernstein is playing guitar, who's excellent, of course. Um, That was a treat hearing you guys. We played duo the other week. Thanks for coming to that. Yeah, oh, that was... That was a treat for me, too. 
Uh, he's an incredible guitarist. Yeah, I uh, brought my buddy uh, mm-hmm. Davey Vogel along, mm-hmm. who didn't know quite what he was walking into, and he plays Me guitar neither. himself. <laughs> yeah, no, he knocked his head clean off, I think. That might have been the first time I touched a piano in the wild, too, because, you know, I'm playing mostly organs, so it's always a little terrifying at first. <laughs> <laughs> well, high wire act. You guys yeah. uh, stayed up in the air. And uh, what else do folks have to look forward to Friday night? Well, we're going to play three sets of all of our musics, and then we're going to play together. Um, Steve Fittick will play drums, who plays drums on a lot of these albums. Um, Doug is an L.A. saxophonist who uh, has an incredible resume. Um, he's been doing very well with his solo records. Joe Magnarelli won the Monk competition on trumpet years ago. Um, he's a he's a great guy for trumpet in the New York scene. He's playing lots of gigs around, so. I'm sure we're going to have a, a very good representation of the music from, from the label Positone. Brian Charette, my guest tonight. Friday night is Positone Records Night at Club Bonafide, 212 East 52nd Street here in Manhattan. And uh, you sent me this cool flyer, but it um, doesn't have the phone number of the joint. But I'm sure people can find it, and mm-hmm. you should. Or you can go to Club Bonafide, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E, Club Bonafide, all one word. I think the number's on the bottom. It might be a little small. Dot com. Clubbonafide.com. It's not, man. <laughs> it's not. I'm looking at it. <laughs> not on the one that's showing up on Facebook. But if people want to find you, what's the best way to do it? Online. It's easy to find. Facebook, com. C-H-A-R-E-T-T-E. Very easy to find. Um, on my Facebook page and my band page, I have a link to the ticket. Uh, and people uh, friend you? Do you friend them back? Of course. It's, it's what you do nowadays. <laughs> Not like in the old Emerson, Lake, and Palmer days. I like making friends. I'm trying to stay friends with as many people as I can. Well, come on. I, we are. I'm. This is me. This is me, Mitch, telling you. Uh, make your way to Club Bonafide Friday night. And um, I want to ask you in a bit also about Once and Future, Mm -hmm. which uh, new album released. So uh, should we go back to uh, get on the LIE and uh, drive out to— And uh, this is going to be Modular Moog solo. All right. Uh, Deep Focus is the program. Brian Charette is the guest. Emerson Lake and Palmer is the topic of discussion. And WKCR is the radio station. Here's one you'll remember. He had white horses and ladies by the score, all dressed in silence and waiting by the door. Ooh, what a lucky man! He was Ooh, what a lucky man He was White lace and feathers They made up his bed A gold-covered mattress On which he was led 
lucky man he was Ooh, what a lucky man he was He went to fight boys for his country and his king of his honor and his glory the people would sing Ooh, what a lucky man he was Ooh, what a lucky man he Bullet had found him. His blood ran as he cried. No more.